Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another edition of 80s Wrestling Radio. This is Tommy Fierro, joined by my main man, Jumpin' Jay. Jay, what's going on, man? Tommy, how you doing? It's another great day to be on the 80s Wrestling Radio. What's new in your world? Well, not much, man. Just uh, going crazy, ripping my hair out of my head for <laughs> 80s Wrestling Con coming up on uh, <laughs> April, 20, April 27th. Uh, things have been crazy, dude. I know, I'm sure that you know, I, I talk to you every day doing stuff with me for graphics and the website and stuff like that. So uh, it's just been, you know, the, the the feedback on it so far has been really good. It's been really positive, so it makes me very excited. A lot of people are talking about it and getting a lot of interaction with it. So we'll talk more about 80s Wrestling Con later on in the program. Uh, real quickly, it's going to be on Saturday, April the 27th in Freehold, New Jersey at I Play America, over 20 80s wrestling superstars from the WWF era will be there signing autographs, taking pictures, celebrating the greatest time period in the history of wrestling, the 80s. Uh, I talk more about that actually uh, this week in my debut column for WrestleZone.com. I'm sure uh, many of you are familiar with that website, one of the bigger wrestling websites on the internet, WrestleZone.com. I just started a weekly column as part of a promotion we're doing with them for 80s Wrestling Con. The name of the column is 80s Wrestling Zone, and it will be uh, posted every Monday on WrestleZone.com. So head over there now, and every Monday you can uh, read a column written by me, 80s Wrestling Zone, now available on WrestleZone.com. And, Tommy, your first article came out today. I came across it on the website. I gave it a read. And I got to tell you, man, you captured uh, what it was like to be a child discovering the world of professional wrestling. If you are a fan of 80s wrestling or even today's wrestling, and you remember that moment that it caught your eye and it spoke to you and it captured your heart, you got to give Tommy's article a read. Because even though it's written from his perspective, it takes you back to the moment that you discovered wrestling, man. It was so well written. Nice work. I appreciate that, man. Thank you. And uh, I'm sure if you're a, an '80s wrestling fan, you're listening to this radio show right now. And uh, I think I think if you, re- if you if you read the column, it'll definitely strike a chord in you and it'll make you feel like you actually maybe wrote the column. Because if you're an '80s wrestling fan, I think that we all think pretty much the same way. So yeah, I, I'm curious to see any feedback. Uh, I've gotten a lot so far. It's been very positive. The uh, email address is actually on the column. So if you head over to WrestleZone.com and check it out, and uh, you can shoot me an email also and let me know what you think. Email address is 80sWrestlingPicks at gmail.com. 
But uh, enough about that. The main uh, thing we're going to talk about this week and the topic of this week's show is, is, a, is a really interesting one, Jay, one that I think that we could probably have a really good discussion about. And it's a, it's, it's, it's a lost art form, uh, the, the role of a professional wrestling manager. I mean, you, you do see it nowadays. Obviously, Paul Heyman is ex- extremely successful at it. Um, and then you see other guys trying to do it, like Leo Rush with Bobby Lashley. And, uh, you know, you, you, you've seen the manager role come a little bit more into play over the last couple of years than you have seen in the past. But it's nothing like the role of an 80s wrestling manager and the impact that 80s wrestling managers had uh, in the 80s. We're going to talk all about that. And uh, we're going to be taking your calls also on it. We want to know who you think was the greatest 80s wrestling manager of all time. And, and also some memories that you have and want to share from 80s wrestling managers. The call in number here on 80s Wrestling Radio is 323-927-2953. Again, if you want to grab a pen, you can write it down. It's 323-927-2953. Five three. Give us a call. Let us know what you think uh, is the greatest wrestling manager of the eighties. Some of the greatest moments from wrestling managers in the eighties. Jay, what 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 comes off the top of your uh, your head as as your your favorite or uh, the greatest eighties uh, wrestling manager? Well, I, I think if you ask any fan of 80s wrestling who the greatest manager of that time frame is, I'm guessing the majority of us are going to say the same person. And so I'm not going to say that name right now because I think everybody's thinking that name, and I'm hoping somebody who's listening will call in and say that name, and then we can really dive into the conversation. You know, the nice thing about the format that we do here on Monday Nights, Tommy, is that it is a live radio broadcast, and we do that so that we can get the input of our listeners. And I want to give a, a big thank you to everyone who called in last week when we had B. Brian Blair on. We weren't able to get to all the calls. The, the phones were lighting up. Some people got tired of waiting uh, and they ended up dropping off the line. So I encourage anyone that's listening, uh, give a call tonight. We'd love to get you on the air. Um, wrestling enjoyed a major boom in the 80s. And that man, managerial figure played a huge role in that. Managers were able to add to storylines, rivalries, and they could sometimes create their own feuds seemingly out of nowhere. Uh, they had skills that not didn't overshadow their wrestlers, but played such a complementary factor. One of the managers that come to mind when I think of 80s wrestling is the mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart. And now he had mic skills like no other, and they teamed them with the Hart Foundation because that's something that Jim the Anvil and Bret Hart lacked early in their career, the ability to cut a good promo and to really be the mouthpiece. Tommy, what are your thoughts on Jimmy Hart? Oh, he was great. He was, he was fantastic. And, and, and like you said, uh, and, and I think I'd like to talk about that a little bit right now, is, is that that was one of the major roles of the 80s wrestling manager was – to help get someone over or someone that, you know, was maybe lacking the microphone skills or, or someone that, you know, not necessarily because Bobby Heenan had several people in the Heenan family that, that could talk. But, I mean, if you're selling a match with Hulk Hogan and the majority of Heenan's opponents, uh, I, I'm sorry, part of the majority of Heenan's uh, guys would wrestle on top against Hulk Hogan, 
Uh, you saw it with Andre the Giant. You saw it with Paul Orndorff, Big John Studd, King Kong Bundy. Uh, and, and Bobby was such a key factor in, in, you know, talking people into that arena. You know, as, as great as Hulkamania was and as great as Hulk Hogan was and as much money as he made in merchandise and, and ticket sales, you know, you have to, you have to factor in, you know, the, the person that is making those people come into the building. So you can see Hulk Hogan beat their butts. And that a lot of time it was, you know, Bobby Heenan's guys. And, and, and also another thing I want to talk about real quick too, with you while I have it at the tip of my tongue is, is back then uh, professional wrestling managers, they were actually, more of an attraction than, than anything else because not only did they, they manage these these guys, but they got involved a lot as well. I mean, how many times have you seen, you know, Bobby Heenan in a weasel suit match and that was a special attraction on the show. <laughs> or when or when Mr. Fuji Mr. Fuji would wrestle someone in a tuxedo match. And, and, you know, that was that was an attraction. Or you saw Jimmy Hart in a six man with with uh you know the Hart Foundation. You know, uh, Johnny Valiant, when he he managed Beefcake and Valentine, he would still get in there. So you saw you saw a lot of these guys also wrestle uh, back then. But it was an attraction when it did. Like, you know, that was that was a pretty cool deal when you know Bobby Heenan would wrestle in a weasel suit match because you wanted to see Bobby Heenan in that suit. I, I remember you know against the Ultimate Warrior, he did against a mm-hmm, couple mm-hmm. of them as well. But they they were attractions in the '80s. Professional wrestling managers not only did they help, you know, get their guys over, but they were such a huge part of the show as well. And that's something that I think Jay is, is greatly missing from uh, today's wrestling is the art form uh, and the importance of a manager. I, I know they're trying to bring it back a little bit. Um, it was just such a such a huge huge role in, in so many colorful personalities uh, did it and uh, just so much material we could talk about on it you know oh absolutely i think when you said that it's a lost art form i think you nailed uh you hit the nail on the head there i think in the 80s the job of the manager was to elicit some kind of emotional response from the audience you'd love to hate them to the point that when they finally did get in the ring Man, you love seeing Hulk Hogan get his hands on the the opposition manager. You love seeing Bobby Heenan get put in that weasel suit. They did their job so well that as a fan, you hated them and you loved to see them get what was coming to you. Um, another thing that I loved about 80s wrestling managers, I think you touched on it, that they're colorful their colorfulness. They're, they're bigger than life personas. The outfits that these guys would wear. Man, I have vivid memories of Jimmy Hart wearing those uh, airbrush jackets. You know, he'd have one for every team that he walked down that aisle with. And that was just one more thing. It's not a huge deal, but it was another piece as a kid, man, that really caught my eye. You remember also as, as a kid, I remember because I remember having one and it was, it was odd back then in the eighties for them to sell hail uh, merchandise. Remember the Jimmy Hart, uh, megaphones, little ones that you can buy? What? No, I, I, I don't remember that. Talk to me about them. Were they made of foam? Were they actually plastic? What were they? No, no, they, they were... Oh, you don't remember them? Yeah, they were made of plastic. I don't remember them. They, they, yeah, man. They're, they're going... I'm, I've am i seen them before. I don't know if they're on there right now. If you look at eBay, they, they might still have some sometimes. Really? Maybe I'll try and get that. Maybe I'll try and get that as a, uh, as a last-second... Uh, 
prize for the Ultimate 80s Wrestling Auction at 80s Wrestling Con. See if I can get my hands on one between now and April 27th. That would be so, insane. Uh, yeah, I don't know man. if I've ever seen one of those. Yeah, yeah. They, they used to tell them I had one. I remember having one as a kid. If you Google they it, have the, you uh, Google it. I had like a cartoon. I had like a cartoon picture of him holding a, a megaphone on on the actual me- megaphone itself. Yeah, if you Google it, cool. you Google it, you could definitely, you could probably definitely check it out. But uh, I remember having that as a kid as well. But yeah, I, 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 Jimmy was great. I mean, God, I mean, he was great with uh, with the Heart Foundation, the Nasty Boys. I mean, God, he's such a legend. He's done so much in the in the industry. And he was such a key factor of that colorful uh, manager. Uh, era of WWF in the, in the 80s. Obviously, he had a he had a great run before there and after there as well. But just that time frame in the 80s, uh, WWF, he was such a a key factor of of a big time key factor of uh, of the success of of Hill uh, wrestlers and uh, Hill stable. And he, he was yeah man, he was he was he was he was he was right up there at the top as far as big names go for managers, no doubt about it. Oh, absolutely. I loved him. Uh, Tommy, right now, if you jump on eBay, you can score one of those Jimmy Hart megaphones for just $100. So it's a pricey oh, piece of... It's on eBay right now? Yeah, you can go pick one up oh, for $100. Wow. Yeah. I, I don't know how much it would have cost you back in the day, but I promise you it wasn't $100. Um, <laughs> no, it wasn't. That's cool that they have one on there, though. That's very cool. Somebody was listening and they just put it on there right now. They figured we'd pay the highest price if we just <laughs> jumped on there. The number here is 323-927-2953. We're talking about the greatest managers of the golden era of professional wrestling. We just touched on Jimmy Hart, but the list could go on and on. Give us a call. Tell us your favorite so we can talk to you about it live on the radio airwaves. Who's somebody I wanna, else I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to bring it. up the obvious one either. I'm not going to bring up the obvious one yet either. We'll, we'll save that one. Uh, he, he was my favorite of all time. I'm sure it was yours too. But, uh, someone that was really, 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 really good. Someone that I think gets a little overlooked as far as this person's uh, – how good this person was and, and, and what this person brought to the table. And, and oh man, uh, sensational Sherry. How great was sensational Sherry as a manager? Her with Million Dollar Man Teddy Biasi, her with the Randy Savage. Uh, you know, Shawn Michaels' one was, was, was more into the early 90s than it was the 80s, but just the whole golden era, era period. Uh, she was just fantastic, fantastic. She was one of my favorites to watch. She was absolutely fantastic. She was, you know, they, I think it was Brutus the Barber Beefcake that nicknamed her Scary Sherry because she she had a little bit of that craziness to her that as a kid, you thought maybe she was just a little bit scary. Uh, you touched on Shawn Michaels, and I would say, yes, that's early 90s, but that's still in the realm of, of what we love. And, and uh, Sensational Sherry by far helped him in this whole transition from the rockers to being the heartbreak kid, she was an integral part of that. When you mentioned her with the macho man, with the macho King Randy Savage, the first thing that popped into my mind is, do you remember when they used to do the promos for the cage matches with the big blue steel cage? And there's a promo where she starts on the inside 
of the blue cage. And while Macho Man is cutting the promo, she climbs up and over and comes down on the other side. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, I remember that. Sure. Of course I remember that. Man, she was comfortable on camera. She played her part to the T, and she's another one that she understood she was there to compliment the talent that she managed. And, man, she did a fantastic job. You're absolutely right. She probably is underweight-rated as a manager, but she deserves to be on the list for sure. And, and here, 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 here's a perfect example of what you just said also. She helped elevate Shawn Michaels to the next level. Because at oh, that time, like you said, Shawn, Shawn Michaels was a tag team wrestler. You know, they broke them apart as a single on, on the, the barber shop. And now Shawn Michaels is by himself. He has to establish himself as not only a heel, but a, 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 a top heel. You know, climbing up the ladder of the WWE. She's all, were two of the biggest stars of the 80s, period. So right there, her mentioning those guys and going with Shawn lends Shawn Michaels a hell of a lot of credibility uh, going with her. I think that's one of the key factors that's missing today is having managers not only talk for the phone and help get them over, but lending them credibility because these guys are big stars and now they're representing the newer guys. So for example, just say, I don't know, just I'm throwing names out there. Greg the Hammer Valentine. Not that he would make a, a, a great... Uh, manager in, t- in today's world, but I'm just using him for examples. Him in a suit with the sunglasses, great hammer Valentine. He's going to pick, uh, I'm just going to grab anyone of the roster, for example, Kurt Hawkins. You know, I'm just, it doesn't make sense, whatever. I'm just, I'm just using him as an example. Great sure. Valentine now is managing Kurt, Kurt Hawkins. So, you know, he's, he's talking for him, he's building him up every week. Now, Kurt Hawkins is getting elevated a little bit because great hammer Valentine. Is a former Intercontinental Champion. Greg Nehammer Valentine is a former Tag Team Champion. Greg Nehammer Valentine is a WWE Hall of Famer. Greg Nehammer Valentine is 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 singing the praise of Kurt Hawkins. Well, guess what? I want to know why Greg Valentine is singing the praise of Kurt Hawkins. Kurt Hawkins must be really good at Greg Valentine's getting behind him. You know what I'm saying? Like stuff like that. I think that that's something that can be capitalized and utilized in, in today's wrestling. Is you know some of these older talents helping getting over these newer guys. Uh, in that kind of role, uh, it's such an important role that was played to perfection in the '80s. Um, another guy I want to I want to mention real quick is uh, it, it, well, there's so many I don't even know where to start. Um, but Jim Cornette. And then we're, now we're talking we're not talking WWF right now. We're talking uh, NWA, and uh, he was in WWF later, obviously, but that was the '90s. But, I mean, he's another one that just can – he can talk people right into the building to see him get his ass kicked. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I, he's just he was just phenomenal on the mic. He is absolutely one of the top managers that's going to appear on anybody's list. And you're right. If we grew up watching the WWF in the 80s, we really didn't get to see it. Uh, any of him until later. And so we really didn't know the work that he was doing down in Smoky Mountain Wrestling and other areas. But if you listen to wrestlers talk about who they put on their list of top managers, Jim Cornette is always at the top of everyone's list because of exactly what you said. He had the ability to evoke the emotion from any crowd, anywhere he went. They absolutely hated him. And he's another one that would work the crowd into a frenzy, would back up his guys, 
but then he wasn't afraid to get into the ring and take a big bump as the payoff, and the crowd would love to see it. He took, you, you might know this better than I do, he was in like a scaffolding match, correct? And he's the one that took the big bump, and I think he ended up busting up his legs pretty bad on the bump, but the wrestlers were afraid correct. to take the bump, and he stepped up and said, if it's got to be done, I'm willing to do it. Correct. Yep. Yeah, he was he was he was great. I, I just want to. I, I know we're WWF bias. I, I know I definitely am. I, I know you yes. are too. Uh, I, I am big time with. I, I grew up on it because I live in New Jersey. Um, but you, I wanted to see him because he was just fantastic. You know, JJ Dillon, another one. I mean, mm-hmm. you can't really talk about '80s wrestling managers without the the leader of the Four Horsemen. You know, right. JJ Dillon was another one that that was that was gigantic down there for them. Uh, I mean, we can go down a, a laundry list of people, uh, you know, from uh, from Slick, you know, to, to Captain Lou Albano, to, you know, classy Freddie Blassie. And, I mean, the list goes on and on to people that we could talk about. And we will. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to touch upon now, you know, the impact of a, of, of a manager in the 80s as far as, like, the big moments go in the history of professional wrestling. You look back at, at you looking back at the eighties, like some of the biggest moments of eighties wrestling, obviously Hulk Hogan, Andre the giant WrestleMania three, you know, mm. how, how big of a part did Bobby Heenan play in that? You know, here, here's, uh, you know, Bobby Heenan, you know, getting inside Andre's head and getting him to turn on Hulk Hogan and, and they were best friends for all those years or, or the same thing when, when, when Heenan got into Paul Orndorff's ear and, you know, Paul Orndorff turned on Hulk Hogan. I have, you know, Elizabeth, we talked about that on the, on the first episode, the gigantic part she played in the whole, mm-hmm. you know, success of, of the 80s WWF. Look at her with, uh, with, with the mega powers of Hogan and, and Savage. What a, what a gigantic role she played uh, in, 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 you know, in that storyline and the success of that angle. I mean, and there's, there's just so much stuff that you can talk about. Oh, one person I want to talk about is is how about the genius, Lanny Papo? I know that's probably more towards 1990-ish, but, you know, here's a guy that was put into this position with Mr. Perfect, and mm-hmm. he hit it out of the park. He hit it out of the park. He, he, he doesn't get enough credit as far as how good he was as far as drawing heel heat and, and, and playing his role of perfection. Here you have a guy for years who, you know, was leaping Lanny Poffo. You know, he, you know, he would, you know, sing, you know, he would say a poem and throw his frisbee into the audience. And now he's, you know, he's completely did a 360 as far as character goes, you know, from a, from a good guy to a bad guy. And the role he played was great. And I think that he really, uh, he really lent a little, uh, a little something to to, to Kurt's uh, character at that time. You are absolutely right. And when he started managing Mr. Perfect, he he referred to himself as the executive consultant to Mr. Perfect, and he was responsible. He masterminded the plan to have Mr. Perfect steal Hulk Hogan's heavyweight championship and then smash it to pieces with a hammer. Uh, the genius was part of that huge angle. And because of that, Mr. Perfect went the circuit main eventing against Hogan for a long time. Uh, and that was all due in part to the genius being by his side. I think you're right. I think he gets overlooked because you, you forget that part of his career. But he led uh, Mr. Perfect. And he also was the executive 
consultant to the Beverly Brothers for a while as well. Executive consultant. You know, I might make you my executive consultant, Jack. I would. I would I like, be honored. I like- <laughs> you have to refer to me as a genius, though. That's the only stipulation. <laughs> I guess now could be a good time where I can I can throw in a little '80s wrestling con uh, plug because the Absolutely. genius Lanny Papa will will the genius Lanny Papa will be appearing at '80s wrestling con again. That's on Saturday, April the 27th, in Freehome, New Jersey. At I play America. You can uh, head over to the website now to see uh, all the different guests that are going to be appearing there live and all different activities and, and stuff we're doing. It's 80swrestlingcon.com. That's 80swrestlingcon.com. Head over there and, and, and see everything that's going on. And uh, let's get a little bit more back. And, and come on, callers, where are you at? I know it's late. I know it's 11:30 at night Eastern time. I know people are sleeping, but uh, we've been getting calls every week. You got to set your alarm clock, like I did when I was a kid when Saturday Night's Main Event was coming on. Nine o'clock, I go to sleep. 11:30, I'd be up to watch it. Uh, yeah, it's the same thing people can do now: go to sleep and wake up to uh, join the conversation here. I think they're awake. I think they're listening. I just think they're having a hard time deciding which manager to call in and talk about. Um, you know, you, you mentioned the genius is going to be at the '80s wrestling con. I have never had the uh, pleasure of meeting him, but I've spoken to some people that have, and they say you couldn't meet uh, a nicer guy. It sounds like he's one that will go out of his way to spend some time with his fans, which is absolutely fantastic. Tommy, I got a question for you about managers in the 80s. Yeah. It it seems like a lot of managers in the 80s came equipped with their their own gimmick. You you either had a cane, you had a megaphone, um, you had something with you that kind of identified you, something that you could throw to your man to use as a foreign object. Jim Cornette had had the tennis racket. A lot of managers had something that they would bring to the ring with them that, that more often than not would get involved uh, in the match. Do you have, I'm, I might be catching you off guard here, but do you have a, a personal favorite? When you think of managers of the 80s, is there a personal object or gimmick that you associate with a manager that you just really love? That's a great, that's a great question. That's a really, really good question. Um, you know, he didn't really never he didn't really never had a, a foreign object. Uh Fuji obviously with the cane, you know, Jimmy Hart with the with the megaphone. Um hmm. I think Fuji Fuji also had did he have salt in the uh in the salt. waistband? Yeah, he had salt. Yeah. He, had, he had salt too, yeah. Never underestimate you know, uh, the uh, the power of salt to the eye. Freddie Blassie had a cane as well. He had a cane, and then there's that story that he actually sharpened some of his teeth to a point when he was a wrestler so that he could uh, inflict damage by biting. And so he had the cane, and he had some things. <laughs> Double threat. Hey, you know, you know what? You know what? It just came to my head what my favorite foreign object was of all times. Let me hear it. It was Luscious Johnny V's cigar. Do you remember that? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Talk about a foreign talk about a foreign object and you get that to the eye, I man. That's it. That that was yeah. probably my favorite uh my favorite use of a foreign object was a cigar to the eye. Do you think he must he must have traveled with just boxes of cigars? 
I'm sure that he did. Right. Uh, again, it, anyone that wants to call in and, and talk about 80s wrestling managers or just 80s wrestling in general, give us a call at 323-927-2953. I mean, on this subject, me and you could talk all day long, so uh, it's a big sweat if no one wants to call in and you just want to listen, that's fine. But uh, we'd like to hear from you, 323-927-2953. Talking more about 80s wrestling managers, another one that's going to be at 80s Wrestling Con on April 27th will be the Jive Soul Bro himself, the Doctor of Style Slick. Man, I love watching him. Loved, loved, loved watching him. Slick was absolutely amazing. He was, you talk about larger-than-life characters. He was something else. He was fun to watch. The one thing about him that stands out in my mind, because, I mean, he, he managed some top-level names of the 80s. The one thing that, that stands out in my mind whenever I think of him is he is responsible for turning the one-man gang into the African dream Akeem. I mean, who else but the master of style could have pulled that transition off? <laughs> that was awesome. I loved every second of that. Yeah, he wrestled. Man, he managed the big boss man. He managed power and glory. Speaking of power and glory, there's somebody else that's going to be at the 80s wrestling time. Paul Roma. Yeah, that's going to be cool. That's going to be cool. Uh, also, Slick managed the Bolsheviks. Yes, he did. You're right. Yeah, You're forgetting another one. Let's see, let's, see how, let's, let's, let's see how good you are. You're forgetting another one that Slick managed. The Warlord. I wasn't even thinking of him. But yeah, oh, he, he's else? also going to be at the 80s Wrestling Con. I have a question yes, for him. With the, bar, the Barbarian. When, when I see him at the con, I have a question for the Warlord. I'll, I'll save it for then, but just to let you know, I have something for him that I've always wondered. But anyway, who are you thinking? Who else did Slick Wait, you said, you said you had You said you had something for him. Like, Did you like bake him something or did you go out and buy yeah, him? I, I, got a, you have something? My, I have a pretty decent brownie recipe. No, man, I got a question for him. As it, I'll ask you <laughs> and then if you see him, you can, you can relay it on or I'll ask him myself when I get to the 80s wrestling con. As a I, kid, mean, I, I thought maybe, I, I thought maybe like you went and bought him like a nice button down shirt since he was being Jersey. Maybe you guys would go out and get a bite to eat after the convention, you know, like what size, you said you what had size, to. What size shirt do you think that guy wears? I'm, I'm, I've seen I'm, recent pictures of him. He, his arms are still huge. Yeah, they, look, they, look, they, still look, they still look great. I'll give him a tank, I'll give him a, I'll give him a tank top. Here's, here was my question for him as a kid. This is what I wondered as a kid. It, as an adult, I can probably venture a guess. But as a child, my favorite was Hulk Hogan. And then I saw the Warlord, and the Warlord was huge. And I thought to myself, if anyone size-wise, muscle-wise, strength-wise could give Hogan a run for his money, Surely it's the warlord, but I don't think they ever had. I don't think they ever had a run together, and I can venture a guess now. But I'd love to, to talk to the warlord and see if that was ever something that was presented, um, or if it was never thought of. But size-wise, I thought they would be a good matchup. I thought that would be a believable opponent for Hulk Hogan. Yeah, uh, you, you're forgetting one person that that slick manager. We said you said the bolt. We said. Uh, one man gang. You said big boss man. Yeah. You just said warlord. You said warlord. I said the Bolsheviks. One one key person that that he managed that you're that you're, uh, that you're forgetting. I'll see if you can figure it out without without googling it. 
No, you know me, Tommy. I'm not going to Google it. I'm going to sit here and rack my I hear, brain. I hear, and think I, back hear to your, I hear your keyboard. I hear your keyboard over there. No, right man, now. it's cold here in Minnesota. My teeth are just shattering. I'm not typing. Yeah, okay. Butch Reed, the natural. Yeah, you're right. You can't leave Butch Reed off any list. Man, Slick, Slick might be underrated as well. Now that we start naming the guys that he had in his stable, People are sleeping on the master or the uh, the doctor of style. People are sleeping. He's on the him. only he's the only one from that era that's not in the Hall of Fame. He needs to be in the WWE Hall of Fame. And you know, I just, I also want to mention real quick. You know, we're on that 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 topic. Honky Tonk Man. Uh, we didn't. I don't believe we touched upon that last week. Honky Tonk Man uh, is going into the WWE Hall of Fame. Man, yes. talk about someone that so so long overdue. And then it would just the news just broke that the other rumored name is Brutus Beefcake. Again, if that's the case, another one that's so 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 long overdue. He needs to be um, oh yeah, definitely. But Slick is someone that, out of all those guys, I believe he's the only one not in the WWE Hall of Fame. What a what a colorful character. Uh, you know, he he definitely needs to be in the WWE Hall of Fame, no doubt about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. I agree, absolutely. Just for, that, just for that music, just for that music video alone, he needs to be in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> oh, that's great. All right, we're talking '80s wrestling managers, the golden era of wrestlers, the golden era of managers. We want to hear from you, our listeners. The call-in number here is three two three nine two seven two nine five three. Call in, tell us who you think was the best. Call in, tell us who you think was the worst. Either way you want to do it, we want to talk to you and hear from you, our listeners. Let me see here. Who else you got on your list, Tommy? Anybody that comes to mind? Or we can go right to the one that's on top of my list. I, we got to talk to one at some point tonight. I know. I know he's on top of your list. You want me to tell you? Know? Yeah, go for it. I know. I, I know. I know. I know who it is. I, I know that this is someone that you really admired uh, as a youngster, someone that, you know, really, really, really uh, was such a huge part of your childhood. And uh, I think that's a good time to tell everyone what a huge fan you are of Sir Oliver Humperdinck's WWF run <laughs> with Bam Bam Bigelow. How did you know? <laughs> How did you know, Tommy? It's like you're, Dude, it's like you're never, peeking into my brain never, here. Listen, Jay, even as a kid, I never understood. I never understood the, the baby face Oliver Humper thing with Bam Bam Bigelow. I just, I just didn't get it. I didn't get why it. Do you, why do you think they did that? <laughs> hey, I, don't, I don't know, but I didn't get it. Hey, you know, you know, now, now that on that on that topic, he wasn't really a manager, but he kind of sort of was. Remember when superstar Billy Graham was with with Don Morocco for a little bit? Oh yeah, absolutely. He was a ba- he was a babyface manager at that point. Yep, absolutely. That's, that's someone that that's someone that we didn't even think about. But he was with Don Morocco. Um, that's someone else that when when they but yeah, that this, the Oliver Humber thing, Bam Bam thing. I just, I just didn't get it. I didn't get it. Yeah. How about how about, oh. how about you know? Another thing I just thought, Jay, how about when all the managers were fighting for the services of the Macho Man? How cool was that? That's when they did Peter Listen, man, I will tell you what. I actually watched that segment earlier today because if we have time to get to it, 
in a Coliseum Home Video cor uh, Corner, we're talking about a Coliseum Home Video that has that segment on it. And so I searched it up on YouTube just to refamiliarize myself with it. That was an amazing piece of golden era wrestling. Macho Man was being courted by the who's who of managers. Mr. Fuji, Jimmy Hart, Freddie Blassie, Johnny Valen, Bobby Heenan are all begging Macho Man to join them and let them be their manager. So he calls all of them into the ring and they all think he's going to pick one of us. They're all waiting to find out who. And then he announces his new manager is Miss Elizabeth. She comes down the aisle. It's the first time we see her. Vince McMahon's on commentary. He's going absolutely crazy about how gorgeous she is, but nobody knows who she is. Who is she? That's a classic piece of 80s wrestling right there. Miss Elizabeth, probably more of a valet than a manager if you want to get technical, but absolutely. Her impact on Macho Man and Hogan, we talked about that. Incredible. Oh, you know who else, Jay, we have to talk about? Just just because, like I said, we're WWF guys. Yeah. But another one that played a big part of 80s uh, managers that, we, that I, I, I didn't even write down this list and shame on me because she was a big, a big name, Missy Hyatt. Oh, yeah. She was a big-time manager. Um, yeah, she, again, being a WWF kid, you really didn't see much of her, but as you kind of ventured out into other worlds of wrestling, like World Championship Wrestling, uh, even ECW later on, you realize that, yeah, she was there, and she was making a pretty big impact. I got one for you, Tommy. As, as I was researching for the show, there was a name that's on my mind, but no matter which website I went to, no matter which list I looked at, he never appeared on anyone's list of managers of the 80s. But as a kid, he stuck out to me because I remember him. Virgil, the million-dollar man's, I don't know, butler? I don't know what you would call him. But he's not on anybody's list. And I thought he played a big part in complimenting the Million Dollar Man's character. No comment from Tommy on Virgil. Well, I'll tell you this. His, his manager career was better than his wrestling career, for sure. We are here live on 80s Wrestling Radio. Call in number is 323-927-2953. Hey. Tommy, you were speechless. That doesn't happen often. <laughs> no, you know what happened? Well, I didn't realize. I didn't realize I was. I was talking. I didn't realize that I had my mute on. So I apologize about that. No need to apologize. <laughs> Dead air is a radio's best friend, my man. Hey, let, let, me, let me tell you something. <laughs> I want. I want to tell. You, I wanted to tell you about Virgil. Uh, yes. I guess I was talking to myself there for for twenty seconds. Well, so, share it with the rest but, of us. Uh, we're all ears. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Uh, Virgil doesn't get any credit as far as the impact he, he, his role played in, in helping the million dollar man. Uh, I know a lot of people, you know, make jokes about him sitting at conventions with tables and, you know, and all that stuff, but he was such a, another colorful character that definitely really, 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 you know, helped DiBiase's uh, character. Uh, and look, when, 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 you know, DiBiase and him broke up and Virgil, you know, 
when the MC Biasi, I mean, that was a big storyline back then, you know, and, and, and Virgil and Virgil was a big time baby face for, for the company at one point. So that's someone that I think uh, doesn't get any respect or credit, but definitely should because, uh, you know, he was a, a big part, a big part, as great as Teddy Biasi was, and he was great. And, uh, you know, in the ring and out of the ring, on the microphone, everything, uh, Virgil definitely, definitely, definitely helped his character out. And uh, I, I think that he doesn't get any credit, and he definitely should. I, I know it's, it, it's it's funny and cool to to make fun of him setting up at all the conventions with tables and stuff like that. But at the, end of the day, he, at the end of the day, he was uh, a, a, a big part of uh, 80s wrestling at that time. He absolutely was. We touched on a couple names. Uh, I just want to say them out loud again, so if anyone's listening, they don't get mad that we didn't talk more about him. But we touched on Classy Freddie Blassie. He's certainly one of the best of all time. Uh, we talked a little bit about Captain Lou Albano. Again, if there wasn't for those two, we probably wouldn't have some of the, the 80s managers like Jimmy Hart or Bobby the Brain that we love. They kind of set the tone and paved the way or people like that, but I'm looking at the clock and we only have about 20 minutes of discussion left. And I know there's some other things we want to get to. And so I'm going to say the name. It needs to be said out loud. Bobby the Brain Heenan. He is on top of my list. I'm assuming he ranks very high, if not number one for you, Tommy. Where would you put the weasel? Where would you put Bobby the Brain Heenan on your list of professional wrestling managers? Uh, well, behind... Humberdings, babyface, everything. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> Heenan was the best. <laughs> Heenan was the best man. Heenan was the greatest of all time. I think Heenan was the overall greatest performer of all time, uh, as far as you know the complete package. As far as a sports entertainer goes, uh, man, about his his time on primetime wrestling. Uh, you know, just like we talked about earlier, his feuds and angles with Andre and Hogan, Orndorff and Hogan. Um, you know, God, man, this is so many countless angles he was a part of. Uh, about what Hercules, when you know Hercules uh, turned uh, good. I mean, there's so much stuff. Tommy, uh, I gotta tell know, you Hercules, Hercules, Tommy, sorry, Hercules turning was with Ted DiBiase and Virgil. As, as soon as we mentioned the name Bobby the Brain, he and the phone line starts lighting up. Can you believe that? People were just waiting for one of us to say it. We said it. We're going to go to the phone lines now. We're going to see uh, if this individual ranks Bobby as high as we do, or maybe they're calling in about something else. We'll, we'll check it out here. Hi, welcome to 80s Wrestling Radio. You're on the air with Tommy and Jay. Who are we talking with? May? Yes, sir. How are you doing yeah. tonight? All right. How are you doing? Good. I'm What's your name? I'm Billy from Billy. Billy. Nice to meet you, Billy. Hey, nice to meet you. Yeah, y'all talking about the the brain, everybody else, and, you know, I mean, I kind of want to know uh, what happened to Macho Man. You know, Macho Man was in WWF. He was announcing a Raw events, and he's the biggest star of the 80s, and now he's come around. And there wasn't, like, a big breakup like Hulk Hogan or something. He just all of a sudden went on WCW. What What happened with that? Tommy, I'm going to let you address this one. There are internet rumors abound about the reason that 
Vince McMahon and Macho Man Randy Savage had a falling out, but uh, I'll let you handle Billy's question. Uh, you know, I, I don't know 100%. I think it might have been that, uh, you know, at the time Vince McMahon was trying to push that new generation of talent and Macho Man was just an announcer at the time. And I think that Macho Man wasn't really finished it in the ring. As you saw, he still had a, a really good run in WCW afterwards. So I think, you know, Randy didn't want to really, uh, you know, hang up the boots and retire and be an announcer that early. I, I think I'm not a hundred percent, but I'm pretty sure that was uh, one of the main factors of, of him going to WCW outside of probably, you know, making a boatload of money. But thank yeah, you for calling, yeah, Billy. I yeah. appreciate it. No, I agree. Let me ask you about the NWO. You got a minute? Listen, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, we we're really just talking '80s look, wrestling tonight. So I, well, I, I, we I do appreciate you calling them. Look, look, no, no, my, my brother. He was supposed to come over tonight, hang out with me. I mean, I talk '80s wrestling. You know, I mean, my favorite, my favorite ever. Well, we appreciate you calling in, Billy. Thank you so much, and, and calling again soon. We're going to get back into talking about uh, 80s wrestling managers, and we were just talking about uh, about. Um, we were talking my, about my, the, my, what the hilariously funny, the outrageously biased and financially corrupt Bobby the Brain Heaton, the guy who would do yeah, anything let's, let's, for the Bobby Heaton family to get a win. Yes, yeah, so let's, let's let's get back to that and just talk about just how fantastic he was. I thought another another guy we didn't mention him with that he was just so good with was ravishing Rick Rude. Oh, listen, the two of those uh, characters together because Rude's a guy who didn't necessarily need a mouthpiece. He didn't necessarily need a manager. Rick Rude was a pretty all-around uh, wrestler the way it was, but when you pair him with somebody like Bobby Heenan who would not shy away from talking down to the fans and building his guy up. It, it was a per- perfect pairing. Yeah, it really, it really was. Um, another thing Bobby Heenan did, like, see, Bobby Heenan couldn't get anything over. You remember even like the primetime wrestling angle that Heenan did with the Red Rooster and the Brooklyn Brawler? Like, even like him being a part of that, like, made that, like, a big thing, you know, Bobby Heenan was just so fantastic, and uh, I mean, let's not even get started talking about him and Gorilla Monsoon together on, on commentary, that's wow. a whole different, that's a whole different topic for for a show as, as commentators one day, and I'm sure that we'll do that, but uh, I mean, he was just absolutely out of this world, Bobby, the the, the greatest, in my opinion, wrestling manager of all time, <laughs> we're talking about all the guys he's with, we didn't talk about another big one he was with is when Ric Flair came to the WWF and, and, and Bobby he knows what Ric Flair. The real world's champion, Ric Flair, when he comes to the WWF with that big gold belt and Bobby Heenan is right there telling the world that this is the real world's champion. I'm sorry. Listen, I'm sorry I got thrown off there before. <laughs> when the caller was for the second question, said, I want to know about the end of you. The end of you. I got to go. Listen, the NWO, the NWO was a big, huge angle, but uh, don't forget that the majority, well, maybe not the majority, but a ton of the guys that were in that are 80s wrestlers. 
There'd be no NWO yeah. if there wasn't for 80s wrestling. And that's why we're here talking this about 80s true. wrestling, the golden era, the thing that set it off uh, for everybody. Uh, Bobby Heenan had, he had one of those minds that you could tell went a mile a minute. And he benefited from being in the 80s, where now the managers have an earpiece. They're kind of being fed stuff. You didn't have to feed Bobby Heenan. You didn't have to tell him what to say. Whatever he was going to come up with on his own was far better than any writer's put together ahead of time i think we were spoiled by having bobby heenan because there's nothing you can compare to him today again tommy's speechless man i keep setting him up and he keeps just going wait no 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 that's I'm too good, of a, that's I'm, too I'm good of a point oh i couldn't I'm hear waiting, you i'm waiting for my i'm waiting for my big time buddy uh i want i want to go back real quick to jimmy hart and talk about him okay let's you go. Had, you had mentioned we you mentioned him earlier talking about Jimmy Hart. How great was Jimmy Hart with the Honky Tonk Man? Jimmy Hart's character as the Colonel with the Honky Tonk Man was just absolutely perfect. I, I again I don't know if you could pick a better pairing. Uh, Jimmy Hart has that musical background uh, from Memphis. Honky Tonk Man, you know, doing the Elvis gimmick, uh, a perfect pairing. And they went so well together. And then even when uh, Greg the Hammer Valentine joined them as Rhythm and Blues, again, Jimmy Hart's right there. And he's the, he's the glue that holds that whole thing together and brings those performers from mid-card up to main event status because Jimmy Hart's with them. Mr. Fuji with Demolition. I, I can still remember when Mr. Fuji broke the cane over Demolition's back at the Survivor Series. I mean... Mr. Fuji was another one that was just just great. He was great. Were, are are you a fan with Fuji and, as the manager of Demolition, or do you prefer Fuji with the Powers of Pain? I like the I like them with both. To be honest with you, I I, I kind of think maybe Demolition better, uh, but I like them with the Powers of Pain too. I, I know what else I like them with. I like them with Don Morocco. With Don Morocco, you're right, Mr. Fuji and Don Morocco. Fuji no, had, remember had, Fuji Vice? Fuji Vice Fu- on TNT. Listen to you, man. You have some you have some stuff stored in your memory bank that I must have uh, must have not even either seen or must not remember. Um, tell me about Fuji brother, you Vice. Do, let me t- let me tell you. You better do your homework next week before you come out and talk eighty stress with me, brother. <laughs> All right. You first of all, yeah, strike one is not knowing and remembering Jimmy Hart's uh, megaphone that was sold in the WWF catalog. That's one. That's strike one. Strike all right. All two, right. Listen, listen. Strike two is this one. One more strike, bro, and I'm gonna reveal the real reason why you were such a huge Sir Oliver Humperdinck babyface manager in WWF on the air. If uh, you do strength three, I'm going to let everyone know why you're such a big Oliver Humberdink fan. You know, I'm I, I'm glad we're not doing this via Skype because I'd have to cover up my dyed orange hair and my dyed orange beard and I have to take off my <laughs> way too colorful jacket uh, for this. I do remember <laughs> Mr. Fuji managed maybe the most successful person he ever managed. And again, this is cracking 90s wrestling, so, so that's probably strike three for me. But he managed Yokozuna. And that might have been his only heavyweight champion that Mr. Fuji ever managed. 
No, that's that's not strike three. That's a good point. I mean, no, I know okay. it was nineties, but I know it was nineties. But that was his big guy, and what a great role he played as Yokozuna's manager. I mean, he just did a really, really good job. Uh, Freddie Blassie, someone we didn't talk much about. We didn't get much into someone that definitely deserves to be spoken about. Uh, he was another one that was just fantastic. The, the fashion plate with uh, Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, he played a huge role in that team um, rising the ranks, and he would just diss the fans, call them pencil neck geeks. Uh, he would bash rivals with his cane. Like we said, he had those sharpened sharpened teeth. He was, gosh, was he, he had to be one of the first successful in-ring competitors to transition that successfully to the role of a manager. Because a lot of us growing up in the 80s, we remember him just as the manager, but he had quite the career before that. And not all managers are in-ring performers or vice versa. And so it's kind of cool that he was so successful at both both sides of the ring there. That's a great that's a great point that you brought up. Absolutely. Yeah. He he was he was really, really good. Um Paul Ellering talking talk about other managers. He's someone we didn't mention yet. Uh Road Warriors were gigantic in the eighties, gigantic and he he played a big part of that with them as well. Huge, huge part. And again, being WWF kind of homegrown guys, you and me, we missed out on a lot of Paul Ellering's work with with the Road Warriors. Yes, he was in WWF for a while, but the bulk of his work with them was done in other areas, in Japan, in WCW, all over the place. And he was another one who he had a, I believe he had a brief in ring. Uh, career before becoming the manager of the Road Warriors, but he's another one that played a big part in that team's success because here you had two guys larger than life, freaky as all get out, and when they talked, you listened, but they were more yelling and grunting and growling, and so you needed that mouthpiece. You needed that other person who could kind of explain the method to their madness, and he definitely filled that role. Absolutely. And, and Lou Albano is another one we didn't really touch upon that much on, on this episode. And someone that he, he's another one that was such a gigantic part of 80s wrestling. Uh, he, he's someone that was another, you know, he was, you know, he was had the LJNs. He was on Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling, you know, the puzzles of him, you know, all kinds of uh, memorabilia of him. He, he was another one that played a big role in 80s wrestling, no doubt about it. About with Cindy Lauper with the whole rock and wrestling thing. Exactly. Some people actually credit him with keeping uh, the World Wrestling Federation afloat in the early 80s because it was his connection to Cindy Lauper that kind of allowed the rock and wrestling thing to happen. And so some people from that time say that uh, Vince McMahon kind of owes Captain Lou Albano a little bit of a, of a thank you. I'm sure he's paid him back over the years, but that it was his connection to that whole rock and wrestling world that kind of allowed that surge in 80s wrestling at that time. Oh, yeah. And I remember him with the British Bulldogs uh, as as when Bulldogs were the tag team champions. He was the baby team champs. The Bulldogs. Absolutely. Yep. That was probably his uh, highest level guys as well as the Bulldogs when they won the titles. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he was he was really good, Lou. 
a little bit now as well. Oh. Um, man, there's just so many different guys and topics we can we can talk about, you know. You could you could literally go on all night, but I'm looking at the clock. We don't have a ton of time left, so if you want to get your opinion heard on the airwaves tonight, you have to call in now. Uh, otherwise, we're going to be wrapping up in the next few minutes. The number here is 323-927-2953. We're talking about everything except the NWO. <laughs> we're not talking about the NWO tonight. We're not talking about the NWO. We 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 let the we let the uh, We'll let the, the macho man when leaving WWF go through, but not the, I was I was putting my foot down with the NWO <laughs> one. This is 80s wrestling radio. You weren't having it. All right, I'm going to throw out a name, Tommy, that we haven't touched on yet. Uh, surely with that uh, steel trap of a mind you have, you'll know a little something about this guy. Um, maybe early 80s. He was probably more prevalent in the 70s, but we're talking about the Grand Wizard. Uh, as a manager, somebody who definitely um, made an impact and probably, again, paved the way to the managers that we grew to love in the 80s. Do you have any memories of seeing the Grand Wizard in action? I, I, I really don't because I, I didn't get into I didn't get into wrestling until 19, like, it was the late 1985 I got into it, so Yeah, obviously I know him, I, I, I've seen him uh, a lot on on film and in magazines and stuff like that, but I know what a, a big role he played as well. He was uh, a huge name back then. But yeah, no, I didn't really get to see him really because it was before I was watching it. But I, I do know the impact he had on on on, on managing. No doubt about it. I'm going to play a little bit of a uh, a connection here. Uh, the Grand Wizard at one time managed Sergeant Slaughter. Sergeant Slaughter then went on to face Hulk Hogan, and in his corner, uh, the Iron Sheik was one of the managers of Sergeant Slaughter. Um, what did you think about Iron Sheik being in the corner of Sergeant Slaughter as he prepared to, to, feat, to defeat the, uh, or not defeat, to meet the uh, American hero Hulk Hogan? It was awesome. I mean, what a what a great, great, great angle that was. I mean, I know it's more than, I think it was 91, right? Uh, but do, do you the, do a do you do an Iron Sheik impression? Because now would be the time. Yeah, I I, I have a really good one, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have a really good one. But uh, I'm afraid I'm going to wake up the rest of the house. If I I'm not I'm not in studio right now at 11:50 uh, p.m. I'm in my my uh, my home office, so I don't want to wake up my little daughter. But I I, I could do okay. a good one though. And, and I'm, I'm guessing there might one. be some words that we shouldn't be saying on Blog Talk Radio either that might come out if you're doing an Iron that, Sheik impression. That, that too. That too. <laughs> I think we're going to get a guest on next week, uh, Jay, because uh, it, maybe it's a little too late for, for people to call in. I know, I know a lot of people listen on demand the next day. I've gotten several messages uh, the following that people said they, they listened to it. Uh, and it's available on iTunes and, and other platforms as well right now. So uh, I know people do listen the next day because it is so late. So maybe we'll get a guest on next week, uh, just to just to make the show sm- smooth a little bit better. And uh, there's no NWO questions. <laughs> All right, that, was, that, that sounds good. Like you said, we we are available for download on iTunes, Stitcher, and also Spotify. 
But Blog Talk Radio is the only place where you can catch us live and the only place where you can call in and share your thoughts with us. Tommy, as we have just a few minutes left on the clock, what would you like to finish up with tonight? Yeah, just that, like you said, it, it's available on all platforms right now. If you actually go to your, if you have an iPhone, go to your podcast app on your iPhone, just click in 80s, uh, type in 80s Wrestling Radio, we pop right up, which is really cool. It's awesome. So if it is a little too late for you to listen, we only tape it at 11 p.m. on Monday nights just because we have a platform and do it live. Obviously, we know that a lot of people are going to listen to it on demand, and that's fine. We have to tape it at some point, though, so... Uh, that's a good time to tape it. We're both up at this time on a, a Monday, at 11 p.m. Wrestling just got over. So it's a it's a good it's a good time also for wrestling fans to listen as well. So I think that as the show keeps going on, it's definitely going to pick up. Uh, it's only the third week, and uh, we've having a blast so far doing it. I'm going to get us a de- definitely 100% get us a guest next week on the show. I'm going to work on it this week. You can find out who that guest is going to be by uh, following us on our social media platforms. On Instagram, it's 80s Wrestling Picks. On Twitter, it's 80s Wrestling Pick, no S. And on Facebook, it's 80s Wrestling Picks. So uh, follow us on social media. We'll be announcing later on in the week who next Monday's guest will be. We definitely will have one, Jay. I will let you know as well. And uh, until then, please keep uh, you know following us on social media. Again, Facebook, Twitter. And, uh, and Instagram, and we'll be posting more information on the convention coming up on Saturday, April 27th, 80s Wrestling Con. And uh, I'm really looking forward to that. I'm really looking forward to uh, to finally getting to let the wrestling world know why, uh, right here on the air, why Jump and Jay has such an infatuation with Sir Oliver Humperdinck's WWF babyface manager run. I think I'm going to reveal it next week. Tell them why uh, you feel so strongly about that. Well, there you go. We're going to have an exclusive right here on 80s Wrestling Radio. Uh, and I think when you reveal it, we're going to have some callers call in and, and echo my sentiments. I don't think I'm the only uh, Humperdinck head uh, out there in the world of wrestling. Is that what you call a Humperdinck, Humperdinck fan, a Humperdinck head? head? I don't know. We do, we do, we do now. We do now. We do now. All right. <laughs> well, listen, guys, thank you again for listening and, and tune in next week for another edition of 80s Wrestling Radio. Until then, have a good week. Have a good week. And if you download us on some other uh, station other than Blog Talk Radio, all we ask is that you give us a, a like, you give us a rating, and you give us some positive reviews. This is a new venture for us, but we're loving doing it. Uh, and we hope you love listening to it. Thank you again for Tommy and Jay. This has been 80s Wrestling Radio. Um.